Well, like I said, first service, I, I just look out and people are kind of a little bit lethargic. Um, have you been eating like a lot of sugar or something? And anybody um, like me this Christmas season, you wake up in the morning and you go, I really shouldn't eat anything else. But you see those good bars over there? Anybody? I think so. Both the services, you know, this is our first Sunday of the new year, and we started with communion with a sense of being together as a family to celebrate God's goodness. And I just pray that as we kind of move through this next year, one of the things that has been on my heart is really on the heart in the sense um, of God as he spoke it through Paul to a group of people who lived in an area called Galatia. And so we're going to begin this series through Galatians over the next number of months. And uh, I don't know if you've picked up that little letter and read it, or maybe remember reading this letter at some point, or maybe you're just, for the first time, you haven't been in church for years, or maybe never, and this is all new to you. One of the letters written by Paul in the New Testament is called Galatians. And you may have heard this little phrase said, you can't tell a book by its cover. Anybody heard that before? That applies somewhat, right? You know, if you look at, let's say, for instance, um, this, this book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Anybody have an idea what that could be about? It's a children's story. And it's by Dr. Seuss. So you kind of look at it and go, this might have some rhymes and might be some fun. But you don't know until you get into it. Or, or how about this book? One that many probably have read here. You have no idea, do you, of what it is? It's a deep, heady stuff. The philosophy, no. I mean, <clears throat> you look at it and you go, it's one of these romance novels. I'm not in any way saying go out and buy this at all. But if you didn't quite know it, they let you know that it's a tearjerker on every page. So warning when you grab that. But here's another book that you look at it and you go, this is, this is one that you, when you see it, probably you're going to write it down and want to run out and get it. See, my guess is you're looking at that cover and you're going, I got an idea what this book is about. But what probably really grabs you is that enhanced with graphing utilities part, right? That's probably got you kind of going, well, this might be something. No, I don't, you know. Well, the reason I wanted to share that is, is the letter of Galatians, in one sense, as we get into it, you'll see that from the get-go, you kind of have an idea what it's about. But you may not realize this just by looking at this letter in its first few lines. You may not know this by a look at the cover. But this letter is one of the most explosive, dangerous letters placed in the hands of an ordinary person who is willing to trust. In fact, many commentators start their commentary by saying, beware. You know, like that that tearjerker on every page. If you could in Galatians kind of stamp something on it, you would say, beware, this letter is dangerous. This letter has ignited more revivals, reformations, and awakening than any other letter ever written. 
Alan Cole, one commentator, writes, The epistle to the Galatians is spiritual dynamite. The great spiritual awakening of Martin Luther came as he expounded and studied this epistle. And it was a sermon on Galatians that brought peace to the heart of a man named John Wesley, who as a result of that went forward with the first great awakening. Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary, Be Free, Galatians is a dangerous letter. It exposes the most popular substitute for spiritual life in our churches today, legalism. He goes on at a certain point and he says, You get this in the hands of people and you let them understand what life with God is really like and watch out. Beware. Watch out when people are free to follow God and His Holy Spirit. I met with one of our missionaries. His name is Paul Weaver. Some of you know the Weavers. And as I was meeting with him, I was sharing with him about this study in Galatians. And he he said to me, do you remember that it was Galatians, the letter to Galatians, that ignited Eugene Peterson's ministry? And it was this very letter that he was reading that God used to inspire him to write a paraphrase called The Message. Well, my prayer is that this letter will ignite us as a body. And not a letter, but the Holy Spirit of God as we open our hearts to Him. It may not be apparent by a cursory glance at the cover of this letter, but Paul tells us more than you can suspect in the very first line. In this letter, Paul calls people to live out the real gospel, which is all about God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and what He has done for you. Not what you've done for Him or what you can do for Him. The real gospel is the good news of a relationship with the living God based on faith in God's grace. Revealed through Jesus that results in a life of love through the leading and the work of the Holy Spirit. You can see it and you can read it again. The real gospel is this good news about a relationship with a God who is alive based on a simple transaction of trust. That he is gracious and he's good and that he wants to live through his Holy Spirit by leading and guiding and directing and empowering you to express your love for him and for other people. Plain and simple, that's the gospel. That's what Paul was concerned about. And, and when you begin to look at the first two verses, you'll find that, that that's what Paul talks about. In fact, in the next number of weeks, we won't even be opening this letter. It's as if you got a letter in the mail and we spent a number of weeks just on the outside cover. See, letters were really scrolls. They were sealed, and on the front they usually had three important things. Now, for those of you who are um, maybe don't know as much about scrolls back in ancient times... It's not a lot different than what we have when we have letters today. I mean, it, it's just the way they've been packaged are different. We don't have parchments and things like that that you roll up and then you seal with plastic and then you send off. And, and this was a very expensive thing in that day to have. So if you could have it and write on it, you didn't, you didn't waste the space. In fact, you reused them and, and, and you made sure you used every bit of it as well as you could. Well, in that day, a letter would come. On a scroll, just like we have today, it would have three important things. It would have the name of the person of who it's addressed to. 
And in the other corner, at a certain place, in our letters, we have who it's, who it's from. One thing that's a little different on their letters is they would also, because they wouldn't want to keep opening these things, they would actually store them if they wanted to keep them and not reuse them. They wanted to make sure they also had kind of a, a memo, a regarding kind of what's this about. And they would often put just a small kind of grace and peace, some kind of greeting that gives you a, a basic idea of what this could be about. If you go to the larger letters like Romans, which goes on and on, it's, it's one of the most expensive letters ever written. Paul sends it, and because it's so big, it's wider, and you can actually see the greeting is a little longer than most of his other letters, which are really just about a page or so. And so here you have this letter. Paul sends it, sealed, and on the front, the very first thing you'll see on a scroll, you would see his name, Paul an Apostle, sent not from men nor by man, and you go on but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, and he writes that. And then the next thing he writes is to the Galatians, the churches of Galatia, and then he would have just a short greeting. Grace and peace and whatever that short greeting would be. And they would get that. And all we're going to do today is look at this. And we're going to see that by this cover, what you see on, in a sense, the very front of it, there's more to this letter on the cover than what you would imagine. This letter is explosive. Quickly, let me give you just a little background. And I, this might just, for some, you might just kind of, you know, tune out for a second. I'm going to just try and stay with me. I'm going to give you some background. The sender is Paul, Paul an apostle. And he also says, and all the brothers with me, if you look at that very first verse. Paul an apostle. It's pretty widely, it's widely believed by both conservative and even liberal scholars that this was written by Paul. Many believe that he wrote it around 48, 49 A.D., so it was very early in Paul's life. Many would think it came after the first missionary journey that Paul took, where he went with a group of people, companions, brothers, as he says here, and he went to a number of cities and he started some churches. And yet they also, and that's in Acts chapter 13 and 14, if you want to correspond, that's that first missionary journey. And then if you look at Acts 15, it's the Jewish Jerusalem consul. That consul was probably, as Luke writes this book of Acts, Acts 15, that Paul probably went some, sent this letter sometime after that journey, before that council, because the major issue of that day was this. Could people who weren't Jews, by birth, background, and, quote, faith, could those who are Gentiles or outside the church of that day come into the same kind of relationship with God that they have? That was a big, big step to begin to see this to spread into the lives of other people who just in their minds didn't deserve God's goodness. And so that kind of sets it up. He says, all the brothers with me, Paul an apostle, that's the sender, and all the brothers with me. It could refer to probably three or four men on this trip with him. And we, we know that by reading Acts chapter 13. Most certainly three of those brothers who traveled with Paul, one would be Barnabas. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, that Paul and Barnabas were set apart. So we know those two went. We also read in Acts chapter 13, a little bit later on, in verse 13, there's a man named John Mark who went with them, and he left them when he came to a place called Perga of Pamphylia. He deserted them, says Paul at another point. 
And there's probably one other person who went because all the the writings about this journey and this trip are so specific and such of a nature that they were an eyewitness account that the other person that we could for sure probably say was one of the brothers traveling with Paul who helped send this letter. Not that they wrote the letter, but were a part of the sending of this letter was a person called Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So Paul and all the brothers, those brothers, probably Barnabas, John, Mark, and Luke, send this letter to these churches. And here's the recipients on the front of that envelope or on that scroll. It would be to the churches of Galatia. Now, we could spend the entire morning on this issue alone. And we won't. Okay? One of the things that I I really desire um, strategically for us as a church is when it comes to actually the study of these deeper elements of of where did this letter get sent to specifically. If you look on a map, when you say the churches of Galatia, you'll see Galatia is the area that they say up here is a region which was known like that for years and years. But in Paul's day, probably about 80 years before Paul traveled, this area down below where you see those numbers, which are really the missionary trip, That's the area that Rome called Galatia as well. And so it's believed that the church that he's sending these letters to are these churches up here of Italia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derba, that area there. And and my guess is, as I studied this and went through this, and, and one of the reasons I say we won't go through this in depth here, I really believe strategically for us as a church, these Sunday mornings are an opportunity for people to come from all different levels. And so what I really want to do is try to give you the best I can with what Scripture has to say and how you can apply it according to the principles in your own life. What is God saying to you today? But when it comes to some of the deeper stuff where, you know, what church is exactly and what were the reasons for saying it was really the southern churches of Galatia, not the northern ones, those kind of things. Those are the areas that I encourage you if you want to grow deep in your faith. That's why we have adult classes on Sunday morning, a place for you to grow and dig and deep and, and ask questions and, and understand that it can happen in small groups. It can happen through, and I encourage you to take things like Village School of the Bible, those kind of, those kind of places where you can actually dig. But what we want to do here on Sunday morning is, is take this word of Scripture and say, how does it apply to that group of people, and then how does it apply to us here today? And at times it means we have to get into it a little more in depth. But I'm not going to spend, because you, there's pages and pages written on whether to the northern churches or the southern churches. And, and the best I can say is you look at that The issue at hand in the time of of this letter was this whole matter of what does it mean to be in relationship with God? And and what happened when Paul ran through that 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 area where those first churches were planted, what happened was after they did that missionary journey, they had all these exciting things take place. Soon afterwards, a group of people from Jerusalem who went through to those churches and said, you know, Paul really isn't an apostle. And Paul really, you know, had a message that's not really directly from Jesus. We're coming from Jerusalem and we know the 12 and and we really have the message that they have from Jesus. And they went through and they said, here's the real gospel. It's God plus a bunch of other stuff. And Paul spent so much time writing letters, following up after These rascals, so to speak, who were taking away the freedom that all of us have been given through a relationship that 
occurs through the work of God, through Jesus Christ, his grace, and the faith and the giving of the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us to read and understand his word so that we can move into a life to do the things that God calls us to do. But Paul says at one point in this letter, it is faith. Well, here's what's the only thing that counts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. The only thing that matters, he says, is faith. Trust in this living relationship with God expressed through love. It goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. This relationship you have with God is not about a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not about a bunch of religious stuff. It's about a live, living relationship where you are in, in a place of knowing and responding to this God who makes himself known to you by his grace and gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can live out in love the same relationship he has with you with others. This morning, I just want to show you how explosive this letter is. It is possible, in one sense, to tell the book by the, by the cover, or in this sense, by the first sentence, because all you have to do is look at that first sentence, Paul, an apostle, sent, and then underline this. He makes it known right away. You don't even have to open the letter. Sent, not. You can underline the, the word not. Not, not from men, nor by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul makes this claim throughout this letter that he was called by Jesus Christ, God the Father, to the church of the Galatia. Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead is the very one who sent Paul. Paul was an apostle, not like the others who maybe walked with the Jesus for three years, but Jesus himself one day on a Damascus road came to him through revelation, made himself known so that Paul actually saw this Jesus and this Jesus called Paul to go out and to share with everyone the same relationship that Paul experienced, not because of all the good things he'd done, all the religious rules that he'd followed, not by all the religious stuff he did, because if anybody could anywhere, as he says in Philippians, talk about his pedigree, it was Paul. But he says that stuff, he actually is, is like garbage, is dung is the word he uses. Manure. That's what his value on that stuff was. Compared to what? Knowing Jesus. Knowing this Jesus who gave himself by grace that you might live in relationship to him through trust so that the work of the Holy Spirit can begin to transform the very character of who you are so that coming out of your life now, now is not the, the selfish things that you would want to do, but He begins to transform your life so that through His grace you begin to do the only thing that really counts and that you begin to take this very faith and express it in love. And the first people who should experience this, husbands, is your wife. And wives, your husbands. And parents, your children. And children, oh, your parents, okay, maybe. maybe. Maybe the kids you play with. And it, it, it isn't about show. It isn't about coming here and people looking at and seeing you going through things here and they go, boy, you must really know God. 
I mean, the only thing that really counts, says Paul, is faith that expresses itself through love. And if it's not showing itself in love in the very relationships that you're closest with and they can't attest to it, and it doesn't show itself up in the place you work, then all this stuff is just stuff, says Paul. Because at one point in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, I don't care if you have faith that can move a mountain. I don't really care if you have the oratorical skills to be able to speak so clearly that you could present things so well that people are in tears on every page. Or if you give all the money you have and you sacrifice your life, it really doesn't matter unless it is motivated, moved by coming out of, expressed through a faith in a God who loves you and gave himself for you, that you would love others in the same way and begin to understand the very things within your life, the very patterns that cause you to sin, the very things that keep you self-centered and self-focused, the very things that end up destroying relationship rather than building relationship through love. And Paul... He forces you to ask from the very beginning of this letter, what if people know God the Father through the grace of Jesus Christ by faith live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? What if people got rid of the stuff, not that it's wrong, but didn't make that the motive for their rightness before God, but they got rid of that and they began to live personally in a relationship where the Holy Spirit filled them and through the fullness of the Holy Spirit were guided and motivated and moved in the lives of other people by the nudges and by the, the working of the Spirit of God so that as you touched other people's lives, their lives were touched by God and they said, God somehow touched me. Would that transform the place you live? <laughs> Paul, what if a person, Paul, an apostle, not sent by some human being, not some religious stuff, what if a person in a family or a youth group or a church came to understand the truth that all this church stuff is not about religion and rules and regulations, but really about an alive, living, on fire relationship with a God that is based solely on His grace through your trust? And you you really understood that Jesus lived in you and that the Holy Spirit was empowering you. This is explosive stuff. What if a group of people discovered the core truth of Christianity, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And it's not abiding by some laws, doing some do's and not doing some don'ts, or far more than some principles to live by or some five easy steps towards a better life. But that following Jesus is solely about knowing this God and being relationship with Him through Jesus, where you are led by a Holy Spirit. One of the problems so often in the evangelical church, I grew up in it, I'm a child of the evangelical church. One of the problems that has occurred as, as we, we've grown up as a group is we've, we don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do. And, and that's really what Luther got in touch with, and that's what Wesley and Whitfield and, and all these others got in touch with. They got in touch with the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, and then filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, God did these incredible things through them. He touched people's lives. And from the beginning to the end, this is all about God, says Paul. It's not about man nor about some men. It's about Jesus Christ and God the Father, who has this incredible power to raise even Jesus from the dead. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle. Apostle is in, in, in a restricted sense means a title. And in some ways, Paul might be a referring to the fact that he is an eyewitness. 
But in a larger sense, there's many in the book of Acts that are called apostles that weren't one of the twelve that actually were eyewitnesses of Jesus. There were apostles like the word missionary, those who were sent out. And so in a sense, Paul is saying, I am one who's seen Jesus, but I'm also one who's sent out as a missionary. And unlike all the other letters, which had simple beginnings, you can look at First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Timothy. They all start out with these words, Paul called to be an apostle by the will of God, and that's it. Or Philippians and Titus, Paul, a servant of God. Or First and Second Thessalonians, all he says is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But in this letter, he says something different. He wants it to be known right from the get-go that these people who are coming in and talking all about this religious stuff and about all the stuff you do to look good before God and all the things you need to do to achieve some kind of better relationship with God. And if you just do this and that and this... He's saying all that stuff is off base. What's truly explosive is this, that you and I, every person here, can have a connection with God through Jesus Christ, His work, the grace that He's done on the cross, through a faith relationship, can know His Holy Spirit, and through the Word of God as you begin to understand the truth of this Word, and you live it out, this faith, which expresses itself in love, is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Paul was sick and tired of man's stuff. He had lived it out. He had done it all. The works, the efforts of his own flesh, the religious rules and regulations of one of the, one of the best religions of the world, Judaism, the Old Testament. Paul wanted people, though, to know this, what he came to know, which made all the rest of the stuff like dung that he could know and you could know God. Galatians, as you get this letter, it's explosive. What you need to know is that you can know God. You don't need the stuff. You can know God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it is all about trust. It's that simple. I don't care where you're at today. I don't care how far you feel you are from God, how much sin you have done in your life. The reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that he came, he paid a price on the cross. He died in your place in order to take all that so that you can live in relationship with him. And in that relationship, he has now given you his Holy Spirit so that through you he can birth his works. I just got to say, folks, I'm going to say this right now. I've heard the stuff about all this emergent church stuff. I'm not even anywhere near that. And this church is not going there. We are going to engage our culture by the word of God to reach people to know Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Amen? And here's the coolest thing. I haven't even gotten to it. I'm out of time. I'm not even at the coolest part yet. Paul is saying, Jesus called me. I don't care about these high pedigree people who say they know the big 12. I saw Jesus. The message that was given to me, that was from God as well, folks. And here's the coolest. Catch this. He says, even our mission to you was not some human idea. We came to you in Galatia, not by some plan or motivation of a group of men or by a man who thought, wouldn't it be cool to go up to those cities and plant some churches? Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, to who? The Galatian churches. Even God arranged that. 
Paul makes it clear that they, the Galatians, were not a part of some man-made plan. Paul and his buds were sent by Jesus and God the Father who raises people from the dead to them. God the Father had them in mind and said, would you guys go over here and do this? Their visit was not some strategic plan to reach the world dreamed up by some CEO pastor of some Fortune 500 church. Did you catch that? This was not some church board with a church sitting around saying, what's our next strategy for this going to be? This was not some late night mission board meeting where they sat around and said, now what missions can we do now? I'm not saying any of that is bad, but it gets in the way at times. Listen to what Paul wants them to know. And they knew this story. This was not new to them. Luke was with them. Here's what Luke writes in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. In the church at Antioch. They're meeting in the church at Antioch. And there's prophets and teachers. And folks, there are teachers who expound the word of God. There are prophets. There really are. I believe all the gifts are available. There are prophets who speak forth God's word. I think you have to be very careful because everything said has to match up to Scripture. But these prophets and teachers were together, and he lists a group of them. And in verse 2, listen to this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. <laughs> I love this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, probably through a prophet, but they all heard the ring of authority, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed as a group, they placed their hands on them, very symbolic of the calling of the Spirit of God, and they sent them off. And the two of them sent on their way by who? The Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus and then went up to the churches in Galatia. I want you to note this. This is so cool. The things that change the world, the things that make eternal difference, the things that God is in are things that are birthed out of hearts that are hungry for God. Plain and simple. Doesn't count a bunch of head knowledge and a bunch of meeting of boards and around the head. I'm not saying that's bad. It comes out of people who are hungry and fasting and worshiping and saying, God, more than anything else, I want you and what you want. And if you will just do that, and then God sometimes does this. He makes you wait. In this case, you see it right away. But I believe they've probably been fasting and worshiping for a period of time. And I, I just get, I sit there and I think to myself, everything that has made any difference, that is eternal and powerful in its scope, has been birthed out of a hungry heart. Samuel was born out of the hungry heart of Hannah, who prayed and prayed and prayed. The great kingdom of God through Israel was born out of the hungry heart of David, who sought after God with everything in his being. The great prophecies of God were born out of hungry hearts of Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah said, God, you've got to come to our people. We're lost. The return to Jerusalem was born out of the hungry heart of a man named Nehemiah. And even the churches of Galatia, says Paul, were born out of hungry hearts of a group of people in Antioch. And I was one of them. And we weren't sent by man or by men or by some human ingenuity. We were sent by the Holy Spirit. And that missionary journey changed the church and this world forever. And here's my prayer. That we will be a people 
as we begin this year and every year that follows that I am called to be a part of this church, that I am privileged to be your pastor, that we will be people with hungry hearts for God. And through our hunger, we will birth God's tangible presence here among us so that people will know Jesus Christ and will be filled by his Holy Spirit. And we will get out of the pharisaical game of trying to keep people in line with behavior and allow the love of God as we interact in ways that is loving and we share the truth in love that help people grow into Christ. But we are not here, nor was Paul going to Galatians saying, here's another religious thing you can do. It's not about that. That's what I signed up for. And I believe if you're here and this is speaking to your heart, I'm praying that's what you've signed up for. And I'll just say it again like I said it when I first came. I'm not about this big, great, I'm not about, we're not about numbers. God adds when he adds and how he pleases. We're not strategically trying to think in our mind, how could we grow this to 2003? That's not what it's about. It's about this. It's about we want to help people know the reality of a life with Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, as they see the attractiveness of our lives, as our character is transformed through the difficult things we go through in life, through the hardships we face, through the study of God's Word. So it's not about head knowledge again, folks. It's not about that we can just get all this in our head. It's about all this. In fact, very little needs to be in the heart to really change a heart. We are more than any other people throughout history. We have more opportunities for the Word of God to listen to it on DVDs, CDs, tapes, late night television, anything you want, you can hear it. The real key is getting what's up here down to here. And that's my prayer, that we as a people will be about unashamedly. Because we have been given a responsibility, personally, as a community, as a greater community with other churches, to make an impact in our world, whatever that means. And as, as elders, we are praying through it. We are working through a vision and a values and missions. And you know what? Let me just say to people who are in business, we will do all these things to match up strategy. But one thing that happens sometimes is you come to a place where as a body, you sometimes have to even wait. Because I don't want to do man's stuff. I want to do the stuff. And I think you do as well. That is birth. By the Spirit of God. Which means we do all that other stuff, right? But we keep this in priority. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would make yourself alive to people. There are some people who, who as I have spoken, who maybe have said, I just need you, God, new, fresh in my life. And they're hungry. They're hungry right this very moment. Would you fill them? And maybe it will be through just reading your word, or maybe it will be just in a prayer right now where you just open your heart and you say, Jesus, come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That simple prayer will open your heart. And there's some, you're just in a place where you have to wait. And in that waiting, let the Spirit of God make your hunger grow. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weary in that doing of good, but grow hungry. Hungry, hungry.
May the pangs of hunger increase within us individually and a body in the name of Jesus. Amen.